Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends. Make your way back to your seats. Pastor Jenna's just going to make sure. Do you guys know that one of Jenna's worst nightmares, she actually has nightmares about communion supplies running out at Awaken? This is a recurring dream for her, so just attending to that deep psychological fear. Jenna, thank you for your work at Awaken. We're grateful. (laughs) I, on the other hand, am like, oh my gosh, we don't have bread? Um, Hey, welcome. My name's Micah, if we haven't met. Glad you're here. A couple things we want to let you know about before we jump right into our passage this morning. The first of which is, if you're new, welcome. We are actually quite glad that you're with us, that you made it out. It's a big deal. Um, So if you're here for the first time or you're relatively new and you're thinking about, like, connecting to us as a church, there's an easy way for you to do that. Uh, There's cards in the seat pockets or the pews in front of you. There is a QR code. I think um, coming up next, there it is, that'll take you to a website, uh, our website, it'll take you to a random website where you're going to have to subscribe and hit a like button and then you're going to be sent down this rabbit hole of Instagram and Discord and Slack, no I'm kidding, Um, just smash that subscribe button. (laughs) Um, I'm off track and I have not even started. Um, So if you're new, go ahead and do that, I don't know why you would now, but... um, We would love to get to know you. If you do that, we'll uh, invite you to a beverage of your choice, get to know you, and you can get to know us. If you would like to give to the church tithes and offerings, you can give it a lot of ways, but those black boxes at the exits are one of the ways, along with those there. A couple of events happening. Grown-up prom. If you have not heard yet, this is is happening. We're doing it February the 10th, 7 p.m. Here's the thing, guys. COVID was not fun. Can I get an amen on that one? Um, we were robbed of a lot of fun, and we would like to have some fun together, some good old-fashioned fun. And so this is that. Um, it is, it's, it's prom. It's, and I went hard on the formal thing early on. If that scared some of you away, we're not going to tell you you can't come if you don't have a tie on, okay? Dress however you want, all right? But it's going to be, it'll be a dance party, and there will be some food available for you, um, there, are, there will also be like the back half of the basement um, lounge set up, you know, with like tables and chairs and cards and Scrabble and whatever else. You, you can bring your own board games for that matter. Um, and you can, you can have fun and not dance. Um, to the second half of lifers in the room, um, I expect to see you there. I, I, I expect you to turn out like there's nobody's business, okay? I have heard that there are some ladies, the ladies of Awaken, we'll call them, who, <laughs> a number of them, second half of lifers, um, who are like, we're going to prom, and we don't even care if our partners are coming or not. We're going together as ladies, so it's ladies' night. Um, I wanted to call them the Cougars, Cougars of Awaken. I was, I was outvoted, voted down for obvious reasons, all right? But the Cougar Club will be there, and I hope that you are too, Okay. <laughs> One of them is my mom, just so you know. So I can say that because I've got, you know, I've got a lot of history there. All right, so uh, secondly, there is a board game night coming up February the 3rd, 6.30 to 8.30. So if you like board games and hanging out, um, you can come to that. 
6.30 to 8.30, register uh, by that Sunday so we know what to buy to welcome you. There is also a marriage workshop happening. We haven't done one of these in a very long time, but uh, one of our own, Andy Carr, is a licensed therapist, and the Gottman Institute, I've got that right, the Gottman Institute, evidently they are pretty well known in this field and produce some pretty great resources, and Andy um, is um, one of the people who can teach that. And he's one of our people in our church, so it's great. So February 17, 18, 19, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think. And um, the times for that are in the Awaken Weekly, but um, please come. It's uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work is the name of the workshop. Um, and last but not least, January, we're doing the supply drive for Walking with a Purpose. You can bring supplies to the back there. All those things are in the Awaken Weekly. Sound good? All right. Get your Bibles out. We're in Mark chapter 2. We are in the third week of a series called The Transformation of Jesus, where we're walking in Epiphany and looking specifically at the humanity of Jesus. We're looking at Mark and his lens on, um, like, what were the transformative and experiential moments in Jesus' life that help him become the kind of human that can choose love, ultimate love, right? Giving your life away for even your enemy. Uh, and... Uh, We've looked at the baptism of Jesus in week one. Last week, we looked at this practice that Jesus in, engages of silence and solitude. Today, I want to explore this, this story in Mark 2, where uh, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man, if you remember this story. And um, before I do that, a little update. Some of you know I went to Jacksonville, if you follow the Instagrams and the Awaken um, Fireside page on, what's that called? Facebook. I uh, went to Jacksonville with my wife, Laura, for a, denomination, for a meeting with some of our denominational leaders. They are called the Board of Ordered Ministry. They oversee credentialing and ordination, of which I am an ordained pastor. Um, I, because I married the sweetest, most lovely couple in our church, who happened to both be men, and for that, I was suspended from all ministry, including this. So... Um, Last summer, a group of those leaders recommended that my ordination be removed at the annual meeting. They needed 66% of the votes plus one. It's called a supermajority. Uh, in that meeting, they did not receive those votes. They only received, yeah, I was glad to, yep, 59.9%. Uh, so 40.1% of my colleagues said no to the Board of Ordered Ministry, and they send that recommendation back to the board. So some of you are like, why do you have to meet with them again? I thought we're done with that. Technically, I'm still ordained, but I'm also still suspended. So I have to meet with them. I had the pleasure, the honor of meeting with them. So we went to Jacksonville. My advocate was a gentleman named Tim Johnson, wonderful, beautiful human and pastor at Bloomington Covenant across the, across the way. We met with the board, and without going into the details of that meeting and boring you, um, it was disappointing and frustrating on a number of levels, and it was very short compared to the other meetings I've had with them, of which this is the fifth. A lot of pastors never see the Board of Order Ministry in their life as a covenant pastor. I, on the other hand, have been there five times, and I will likely go back for another. We'll see. The uh, result of that meeting was the following sentence, which was read to me at the conclusion of the meeting. The recommendation of the board is that you remain under full suspension. Period. What does that mean? I have no idea. What's next? I also don't know. But I find that the passage we're reading this morning that we're going to study, ironically enough, is, um, has a lot of like 
resonance with this and kind of where we are and who we are as a church. And so I'm going to just preach that passage, and I'm going to let you kind of determine or fill in or make connections um, as to how that might apply to your own life personally, for sure, because we're glad you're here, and also to us as a church, okay? So that's the plan today. Are you with me now? Mark chapter 2, Carrie, if you would, please, the rest of you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll dive in. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> God, we gather in this place this morning, and whatever we brought is what we've got. They say, wherever you are, that's where you'll be. And so here we are. And we trust that you are good, that you love us, that you want good things for us. And so we invite you to the degree that we can to move and speak and um, invite us, challenge us, comfort us, encourage us. We pray in Christ's name. And the church said together, amen. You may be seated. So we're in Mark 2. Here's the short version of Mark 1. Jesus, um, he gets baptized. He's fresh off of a very transformational experience of baptism. He's Goes under the water, he comes out, the skies open up, he hears a voice from heaven, a sp the dove descends on him, and he hears, my son, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, he's led immediately at once, Mark says, into the desert where he spends some intentional time with God, communing with and in the presence of the divine. And if the, if, if the desert is the desert, if the wilderness is the wilderness, the place where God speaks, then we have to assume that Jesus has heard some things from God in his time out there. He had 40 days. So um, some things that he's learning about himself as a human. He's human. So he's learning some things about who he is and what he's being called to do. He comes back from that. He calls his disciples to join him in the work. They start doing that. He casts out a demon. He heals some people. People are gathered around. They're, they're, they're doing all kinds of uh, good work. They go to um, a friend's house. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. The people are gathered around the door. 
And Jesus takes a break. He goes to silence and solitude. The disciples find him. People are like banging down the door. They're like, where is he? They go and find him. He comes back. He heals a leper. Um, And then these guys in chapter 2 bring this man, the paralyzed man, to Jesus. They lower him through the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Mark 1 and 2. And in doing so, he makes the religious leaders upset. So the people in charge of the denomination are mad. (laughs) Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about what you do when you know something about yourself. And I want to talk about what happens when others don't know. And then I want to talk about pudding. See, in homiletics, what I've just done is I've hooked you. You're just dying to know, what does this have to do with pudding? I mean, I like pudding, but how is he going to connect? See, I've got you all the way to the end, and I'm going to save the best for last. You know, it's kind of like the Academy Awards. You don't go out with the first, you don't do the best actor first, you save, or the best actress, you save that till the end. That's what we've done. Just letting you in behind the curtain a little bit, Okay. So that's what I want to do. What do we do when we know something about ourselves? What do we do when someone else doesn't know? And then a little bit about pudding. Um, Verse 5, Jesus makes a declaration about, or Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And in doing so, I want to suggest to you that he's made a declarative statement about his own identity. Um, I love this story. It's one of my, it's one of those ones that I just wish I could, like, you could be there in the room. You know what I mean? Um, like, fascinating, right? Jesus is, he's teaching, he's um, in this house. These guys, these four guys, they've got this friend, let's call him Tom. Tom can't walk. He's never been able to walk. And they've sort of, you know, been his pal throughout life. And they find that this guy, they hear about Jesus, that he can make people like Tom walk. So they're like, we got to get him to there. We got to get him there. So they go to the house where they, they think Jesus is. There's a crowd so big, they can't get in. Undeterred by the crowds, they form a plan. And that plan is to climb up on the roof, and they're just going to, like, lower their friend into the room, you know? (laughs) So just, like, imagine that you're there. You're just sitting. You're listening to the rabbi. You're hanging on every word, following in the dust of the rabbi. And all of a sudden, you hear, like, a a raccoon on the roof. No, maybe it sounds larger than that. It's like like a large animal. And then before you know it, they're starting to peel the roof off. And of course, everyone sees, like, everyone knows, like, they're all in on this. They're like, oh my gosh, there are four men on the roof. No, wait, there's five, and there's a paralyzed guy. And they lower him down in front of Jesus. And in this, like, really amazing moment, Jesus, the rabbi who can heal people who can't walk and all kinds of other things, he looks at Tom, takes a deep breath, closes his eyes, extends his hands, and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And from the back you hear somebody go, does he know he can't walk? <laughs> and one of Tom's, Tom's friends are like, this feels like a board of ordered ministry meeting. It's kind of disappointing. <laughs> and one of them has the courage to say like, all due respect, sir, rabbi. Thank you. And with all gratitude, but, like, Tom can't walk. And Jesus is like, I know. (laughs) Who do you think I am, right? 
Why does Jesus say your sins are forgiven? And why in this moment are the religious leaders so upset by that? Like what trip, what trigger has Jesus tripped in this moment and in this interaction? Why does he say that? I want to say that in declaring forgiveness of sins for Tom, Jesus has made a declaration about himself that he has come to believe is true. And that fact is that he is the son of God. He is the divine incarnate in human form. Now, did he always know? Like, when did he find out? Have you ever heard of this, this book called The Gospel According to Biff? Yeah, it's like this fictitious kind of wondering about the, the, uh, the Gospel According to Biff, Jesus' childhood best friend. <laughs> so it's like through Biff's eyes of, of growing up with Jesus, you know. None of this is true, of course, but it's a fascinating question. You know, Biff's watching Jesus, like, bring chameleons back to life on the playground, and he's like, something's not right here. Hold on, wait a minute, something ain't right. But, like, when did he know Jesus was fully human. We can't assume that like he comes out of the womb fully cognitive and ready to rock and roll. At some point along the way, he came to the conclusion, he came to understand about himself that he was in fact the son of God, the divine incarnate in human form. When? We don't know. We can't know. We'll never know. Mark doesn't tell us that. But what Mark does say is that in this moment... This is the first declarative statement Jesus makes about himself. Why is it declarative? Because Jesus is Jewish. Newsflash. Christ is not his last name. Newsflash. He's Jewish. He would have known that only God can forgive sins. So in saying your sins are forgiven, implicitly Jesus is declaring that he knows who he is. Which, of course, is also why the religious leaders are so mad. They know because they teach the law. They are, they're the teachers of Torah. They know that only God can forgive sins. So, what I want to lean into this morning, for, for in this first section here, is like, what about this process? Like, how and when does Jesus come to know this about himself? And that, that journey of self-knowledge. In the process of becoming, in the process of transforming... Uh, there is a journey that begins internally where we discover, where we begin to discover our true identity. Richard Rohr calls it the, the true self. Where we, we begin to learn our, our true name. Where we begin to know, like, who I am. Where we begin to understand, like, what I've been given. What is in my hands and what's my unique, particular once-in-a-lifetime invitation from God because I'm me and you're you, right? That journey of, 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 of understanding begins inside. It's internal. And then there comes a moment along the way where you speak it out loud for the first time and you say, I'm a mother or I'm a teacher or I'm an advocate or I'm a listener or I journey with people who are weary. Or I'm a questioner. I'm a reformer. I'm a challenger. And you say that out loud for the first time. This journey of self-reflection uh, of, of self and discovery to the point where you're like, this is who I am. This is my invitation. This is, and then you step out and you say it. You speak it. 
I wonder if this is one of those moments for Jesus. A few questions for you this morning, just to ponder. What does it take to get to that place of knowing oneself? Like, what, what, what kinds of things need to happen in order for you to come to that place of being able to say, like, I'm a fill-in-the-blank. What are the fears that you have in speaking that out loud? What rises up in you when you take that risk of saying it out loud and now you're sort of bound to it, right? Because it's not just inside. It's not just rolling around in here anymore. You've spoken it. It's out there. What rises up in you? What holds us back from that moment? What do you do with people who question that? What do you do with people who oppose that? And maybe, maybe, maybe the million-dollar question is, how do you know that you know? You know what I mean? How do you confirm that? How do you know that that's not just your ego or what you want to be true? All of these questions, I want to suggest that Jesus has a deep understanding of this journey, of becoming, of like understanding and knowing who it is that you are, uniquely, created by the divine with a spark and something in your hands to bring to the world. Jesus has a deep knowledge of that, and that journey is deeply spiritual. As we become, as we transform, as we speak out loud who we feel, know, have come to understand ourselves to be in the world, there will be moments along the way. And you will have to walk that exhilarating and like terrifying path of stepping across that threshold and saying it out loud. And living in the fullness of who you are. Some people never get there. I pray and I hope that you do. Because that's what life is. Now notice what the religious leaders do with that moment. Thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus has made a declarative statement about who he is. And they say, he can't do that. You can't do that on television. I want to I just remind you, they're not wrong. They just don't know. The religious leaders in this moment, we can paint them in really negative light. It's easy to gang up on these guys, right? They're like, oh, they're opposing Jesus. These are the Pharisees. They're always... They're not wrong in this moment. And it's really easy for us to make them the antagonist and Jesus the protagonist because we love binaries, right? We love either or. We love the good guys and the bad guys. We love... You know, the heroes and the villains. And our brains actually seek that out. Like, we want that so desperately. Because it's settled, it's clear, it's, it gives us great comfort. And it's easy to write off the teachers of the law. And categorize them as ignorant and dumb. Or, or worse yet, enemies of Jesus. And the source of the problem who need to be dealt with. Like, ex exit the denominational leaders as quickly as possible. Oh, sorry, the Pharisees. It's easy to protest against them and rally our troops around you, you know, like, we're with, you're with us and they're against us. It's easy to do that. 
But before we jump to any conclusions and we get on our horses of moral superiority, let's remember in this situation, and let the text teach us, that they're actually not wrong. Leviticus 4, Leviticus 5, Leviticus 16, Leviticus 17, they all say, and they would have all known it, and so would Jesus, that only the priest can offer forgiveness of sin, which God alone grants. Jesus is neither of those. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. Everyone knows that. And he's not God. So they're not wrong. On the journey of transformation and becoming, when we begin to learn who we are, what our name is, what's in our hands, and what we've been invited to, there is a very real possibility that we will encounter people along the way who don't know what you're coming to know. And everything in our world, everything in our like psyche, our psychology, our brains, everything in our bodies wants to make binaries and quickly assess and categorize us and them. I want to offer some wisdom from the teaching of Jesus. What's helpful in this situation is to withhold judgment. To give someone, the other, the person who you think may oppose you, the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying you have to be a doormat and you have to roll over and have no spine. No, some people, like, habitually make them make sure to let you know that they're not trustworthy. You don't have to trust them. You don't have to give them the benefit of the doubt. But for the majority of situations in our lives, friends, we can stand with conviction, with a strong spine and a soft heart, and still give someone the benefit of the doubt. We can assume the best of the other. See, when we go down the road, when we go down the hallway of us and them, like right around the corner from those offices are patterns and ways of relating to others that are unfitting, unbecoming for followers of Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying here? So you can hold a belief, you can hold a conviction and not be a jerk. I've said this a million times and I'll probably say it a million more. How you believe what you believe is more important than what you believe. I'm going to say it again. How you believe what you believe, the posture, the tone, the tenor, the the spirit in which you hold your conviction is actually more important than what you believe, the content of your belief. Because you can believe all the right things and still be a person who does not reflect the nature of Jesus. So when we find ourselves compelled, convinced, knowing something is true and we, we find opposition in that or question in that or even anger, right, You don't have to respond with laser-like, you know, cutting remarks. You don't have to send out notice on Instagram to your enemies. You don't have to write a blast and email all the people in the company. Jesus actually responds with a question. Did you notice that? They say, they think, (laughs) That's fascinating, too. You know, can you imagine being in that room? You're sitting in the back, you're like, and Jesus is like, why do you keep thinking these things? And you're like, oh, my gosh. Are you my spouse? How did you know? It's like, you know, he asked a question. And we can read that question like, who, do you think it's easier to forgive someone's sins or heal him? Or you could read that question with the tone of like, oh, do you think it's easier to forgive someone's sins or, or heal them? Oh, so that you know. 
Tom, take up your mat. Walk. In Jesus' case, these guys aren't wrong. That he doesn't open up a can on them. He doesn't put notice out. He doesn't, like, no, he reminds them the proof is in the pudding. You guys know this phrase, right? The proof is in the pudding. According to the dictionary, it means this. The proof is in the pudding is an expression that means the value, quality, or truth of something. The value, quality, or truth of something must be judged based on direct experience with it or in its results. Jesus doesn't put him on notice. He leads with curiosity and a question. And he lets his actions confirm, validate, and hold up the declaration of divinity he's just made by forgiving this man's sins. I tell you, pick up your mat and go home. Jesus knows deeply the wisdom of the fruit tree. He knows that a good tree will bear good fruit. And he also knows that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's not hard. Jesus knows the wisdom of the prophets. When someone speaks on behalf of God, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. He's talking to Moses about Jesus, actually. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Like, it's trustworthy and true. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded, or speaks in the name of other gods, let that prophet die. If someone speaks on behalf of God and it doesn't come to pass, we know that is not, cannot be of God. If someone speaks on behalf of God and it comes to pass, there's fruit that's born from that word, clearly that's a word from the Lord. It's not rocket science. Jesus understands the wisdom of this, and he knows that he can say all the things he wants. He can argue till the, till the cows come home. He can be sharp and clear and have PowerPoints and everything, and he can still, and if his life does not, like isn't congruent with what he's saying, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He knows that the proof is in the pudding. A life lived. So we see Jesus. He speaks out loud a word about himself, that he's come to understand the Son of God, the divine image, in human form. There's opposition to that. But Jesus doesn't have to be a jerk about it. He actually has gentleness in his confidence. He's, we see a humility and a kindness and a compassion. And even a, like an, an invitation to these people in a form of a question. And we see that Jesus knows the wisdom, that the proof and the validation of what he's saying is not in the words he speaks, but in the life that he lives. So wherever you've come from this morning, personally, may it be true for you. May you hear the wisdom from this teaching. That as you come to know who you are and what you've been called to do in the world and what is in your hands and how God has invited you to participate and you stand in that and you speak it out loud, whatever opposition or question or uncertainty you may, may come towards you in that, may you have gentleness, may you have kindness, may you have a humility, may you have a strong backbone and a soft heart. Because what you say doesn't matter. The life you live will confirm, will validate, the proof will be in the pudding. Do you see what I'm saying here? Okay. Now, a word for the church.
I hope you can see where I'm going here. We've made some declarations about our understanding of who we are as a community. We've spoken those things out loud into the world. And it appears that there may be some confusion. <laughs> it appears that there may be some oppositions. In fact, some folks may be a little angry. But we know that we know that we know, like, in our bones, that this is the invitation of God for us, for this community. We've discerned it together. We've prayed about it. We've fasted about it. And so we stand with strong backbones, with conviction, but with kindness and gentleness and humility. How will we know that this is of God? How will the covenant know that this is of God? How will the religious leaders know that this is of God? If this is God's word, if this is true, there will be so much fruit around here that everyone who's hungry will come and eat. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to take out ads. You don't have to put my face on a bus bench. Like, if people are hungry and there's fruit from this tree, people will find it. They'll come. They will delight in the richest affair. And you, all you have to do is just live, live your, we, all we have to do is live our lives. And say, bring in the FDA, baby, inspect the fruit. And I'm telling you, there's so much fruit around here, it absolutely blows me away. I'm just like completely humbled. And I'm so convinced that this is the path, this is the good news of God, that this is, this is water for thirsty souls. And so my, my challenge, my invitation to you as a pastor, as leaders, we have discerned and determined and, and spoken out loud, and now we are walking this road out. And I want to encourage you to continue to do it with gentleness and with respect, with kindness, with humility, with strong backbones and soft hearts. So that when we get to the end of whatever this road looks like, we can look back and we can say, we regret nothing. We regret, we don't regret saying something that we shouldn't have said. And if we do, we ask for forgiveness and we apologize and said, you know what, that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus-like. That was anger. That was bitterness. That was immaturity. And we, we can get to the end and we can look back and say, like, we said everything we needed to say. We stood square with our feet on the ground, our shoulders square, like looked in the eye. And there's a lot of fruit around the orchard, friends. So let those who are hungry come. And when they get here, may they hear, there is a seat for you, brother. We've, we've thought about you before you ever got here. Sister, we are so glad you're with us. Welcome. If you're looking for something else in a church, there's the door. But if you want to participate in this, then saddle up, partner. More hitchhikers. Pick them up. Do you know what the best like the best defense of, of like who, who we feel called to be is an awakened that's just pulsing with life, thriving, stories of transformation everywhere. 
That's the best defense. We don't even have to say a word. So if you've been sitting around and you're like, I wonder what this church is about, and you've been kicking the tires, get in on this thing. We got something to say, baby. And if not, I've said it before. I mean, you've seen the parking lot. We're going to need your parking spot. So we're going to take a few moments of silence to contemplate what the pastor has said and trust that if there's anything that's not of God, not congruent with Jesus, that the Spirit will help you forget it and that if there's anything of life and of goodness and truth, that the Spirit will help it settle in your soul so that it would take root and grow and that it would add good fruit to the orchard. So, let me offer a word of prayer. God, this morning, we take a moment of stillness and quiet before we come to this table of Eucharist to be reminded of who we are, to be reminded whose we are, to be reminded of how good you are. So, Holy Spirit, do what work you need to do in this room today. I pray. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to make your way up to this table. And as you do, um, know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Uh, Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Uh, We find it important to remind ourselves that this is the table of the Lord, not of the church. And so it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have faith, a little bit, a lot, a shred of it. Um, You who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you, but because the resurrected Christ invites you. Uh, We'll invite you to come down the side aisles and there's red wine and white grape juice. Take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and you'll hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Before that, we'll invite the kids down and we'll bless them with honey and then you'll you'll be invited to, to join us for communion if you'd like. So let's respond together. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.